0: So we're going to do the whole chapter. Got a bit to do on that. If you weren't here, chapter one is simple. Habakkuk has a complaint. God, there's evil, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. So God then responds, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Babylon down, and they're going to take care of the evil in Israel, which prompts complaint number two, What? You can't bring them. They are worse than us. Why would you possibly do that? I don't like your plan, God. I don't like the way you're running the universe, right? And that brings us right up to chapter two. And here's what Habakkuk says he's going to do. He's just launched his complaint at God. And then he immediately says this, I will take my stand. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Interesting. See what he will say and what I will answer concerning my complaint. How do you get over being frustrated by life? I call it right here, tower time. That's what Habakkuk says he's going to do. I'm real frustrated. I got these two things. God, I see a lot of evil. It doesn't match up with your character. You're good and generous, but the world does not look like that. Well, here's what I'm doing about evil. Ooh, I don't like that plan either. Frustrated. So what does he do? I'm gonna go up in my tower and spend some time there. Is that hard to do today? Right? The number one thing that people seem to say more and more is this. I am so busy, right? I mean, it's the most famous, most favorite saying of everyone. I am so busy. My son, Myron, who's five years old, says it. I'm so busy, Dad. I got a Lego project I got to finish. I got to color this thing. I got to feed the cat. I need to take a bath, torture. I need to play. I am so busy, dad. My favorite was this guy that I saw on the streets a number of years ago. Like, he didn't even say he was so busy. All he did was point at his watch. Ah! And just walks on. I'm like, okay. I'm so busy. I can't even tell you that I'm so busy. Like, it's insane. So we were promised that technology would give us all this extra time, right? Go to the library, see if you can check out old popular mechanic magazines, right? They had all these like, hey, in the future, you're just gonna have all the leisure in the world. You'll have dishwashers and you'll have a robot that will wake up in the night and it'll go out and it will vacuum your house. We actually have those now, right? They had all these things. It's gonna make life so much, you're just gonna be able to hang out, spend time with your loved ones, leisure. Has that happened? The opposite. Now it's like we can multitask whenever and wherever we're at. In the checkout line, it used to be conversations and talk. Now the checkout line is, well, I can check my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Snapchat, Craigslist, I can text some people back. I can check my Gmail account. I go and check my bank account. I can check my 401k. I can see what's happening to the Dow Jones because the Fed increased the rate. Like you can do all this stuff. Instead of interacting with people, we now have all these other things that we can be doing all the time. It's very hard to have tower time. Very hard. No doubt about it. They say, I just read it yesterday, that people on average touch their smartphones 2,600 times per day. Now, just start thinking about that because you're not touching it when you're sleeping. At least I hope you're not. I mean, you're nuts then. So it's really pared down to about 16 hours. That works out to three times a minute, every minute that you're awake, you're touching your smartphone. It's insanity. It's like we've become cyborgs. We can't get them out of our hand. They have to just like this nervous thing. I got to touch, I got to have it. So it's, it, I think it's as hard to do this as in any time in our life, right? There's all this stuff that you can be doing. I have, my buddy has the best app on his phone. Every time his wife uses the credit card or a debit card, it makes a sound cha-ching. <laughs> so Christmas time, it's like a train. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. He's just like, ah! But there's always like these little things that just distract you from what actually matters, tower time. And it's in a tower, I think that's important. What does a tower do for you? They get you up, right? Why would they build towers around cities? Because there's bad dudes. And if you're in a tower, you could see what the enemy was doing. And I think a lot of what Habakkuk is dealing with is, there's an enemy and he's get up in tower and see what the enemy is doing. He needs to get a new perspective. And I think tower time does three things for people. So if you're gonna look at New Year's resolutions, you might think about, maybe I need some tower time. Because I think it does this. Number one, it gives you a better perspective. And it's like this. If you've ever seen somebody, and when I was in India, I actually saw people doing this, working a loom, where they're weaving. Well, if you look at the bottom of a loom, when someone's weaving, what does it look like? You can't tell what it is. It's knotted, it's tangled, it's ugly, there's nothing to it. And sometimes I think on earth, the way we look at it is a perspective that you only see the bottom of the loom. Ecclesiastes would say, it's looking at life under the sun. In that perspective, knotted, tangled, what in the world, this makes no sense. But if you could just get from underneath the tapestry and look on top of it, what do you see? It's beautiful. Oh, that's what that person's weaving. That's what they're doing. Oh, I get it now. Okay, all the knots and all the tangles and all the hardship is worth it. And Tower Time gives you that perspective. You get up and see things not under the sun, but in the sun. Number two, I think Tower Time heals you. We have these dumb sayings. Time heals all wounds. Is that true? Right? get shot in the liver with the 22? Dude, just give it some time. No, you'll get infected and die. That's not gonna work. You know, old people that have been wounded when they were young that have never healed, they're bitter and they're angry. Time does not heal all wounds. I say, tower time with Jesus heals all wounds. That you have to go to the great physician and spend time with him and learn to come get over your bitterness and get over your anger. It's not just time, it's the right kind of time. That will heal you. You get healed in the tower. And then lastly, I think what you see in all this, like Habakkuk's complaint, the answer, Habakkuk's second complaint, that just the, this thing is driving Habakkuk to one thing. And guess what that is? Prayer. I need to pray. Habakkuk has not scheduled this. He didn't say, you know, I got to schedule this prayer time. This is, I am so desperate and so needy. I am so worried about the future that I'm looking at. I have got to go pray. Ever been in that situation? Driven to fall on your knees because you're powerless and hopeless and life seems out of control and you have to pray. We will at times ask, God, help me to pray. Help me to be better at praying. And what we mean by that is, help me to get up at 5 a.m. and pray, right? And God says, that's not what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make your life out of control so that your only answer is prayer. So be careful when you ask God to help you to pray. Because he might just do a Habakkuk to you where you become, oh my goodness, this is not scheduled. This is, I have to pray. I have to pray. So he comes now to God and he's like, I need answers. I think what God says to him is this, and I want a relationship. But Habakkuk would say, but God, this is so important. And God would answer, I know. And so am I. That the drive of this book is not the answers. And you'll see this at the end of chapter three. The drive of this book is I'm your dad. Come hang out. Let's have a relationship. That's ultimately what tower time is for. So he goes, I'm going up in a tower. I'm going to listen to what God is going to say. And then God answers him. Verse two. And Yahweh answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all peoples and collects as his own all nations. Here's God's answer. And it's brilliant. Three things. Number one, Habakkuk, this is bigger than you. Write well. That's what verse two is saying. What I'm gonna tell you Write the vision, make it plain, so he may run who reads it. So the person that reads it gets excited and is energized for life. This is such an important point. Habakkuk, you think this is about this one little thing that's happening inside of Israel in 605 BC. No way. Your life, Habakkuk, is gonna send out ripples that will affect billions of people, so write well so that the person that reads it runs, is energized. Do you know that about your life? That the life that you're living always is kicking out ripples. Sometimes they're catastrophic and they drown people. Other times they move them where they're supposed to be. Habakkuk is told, write it well write it well. And I say this and I'll repeat it all the time. You and I are the only Bible most unbelievers will ever read. If they're wondering what Jesus is like, if they're wondering what Christianity is all about, they're not most likely going to read Habakkuk. Guess what they'll do? They'll look at your life and the ripples from your life are teaching them something. Are we writing well? What are we writing? A comedy, a horror show, a drama, fiction? What are we writing? Habakkuk would say it matters, it matters. Write well because your ripples go out and if they go out right, people that read your life get energized so they run on. Brilliant. Number two, I've got it, be patient. Verse three. Still the vision waits, it's appointed time. Everything that I've been talking about, Babylon coming, the evil that's happening, listen, there's an appointed time for it. It hastens, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. I've got it, be patient. The prophet Isaiah would say this in Isaiah forty thirty one. He would say, Those that wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like an eagle, the run and not grow weary, the walk and not faint. Wait for it. Be patient. Have you found that God's timing is really good? Like, even though you want it to happen faster or a different way, when you've actually waited for it, Isaiah 40, thirty-one, Habakkuk 2, verse 3, that all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I waited. I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, I was at the office and Trevor and Mark and I, I said, hey, let's just, let's walk through the building. So we're just walking the building and I'm just blown away by it. It's just staggering to me. And I remembered 10 years ago, about this time, I was driving, I'd actually gone to Price Chopper, the one on Williams Highway, it's now Planet Fitness. And it looked like nobody was in the store and it was kind of getting run down. I'm thinking, you know what? This place is going out of business. We could probably put a church in here. And I was like, that would be so awesome. Now I look at what we're doing. I'm like, oh my goodness. Thank you, God, for not letting me do that. That would have been a bummer, man. A giant, Great for Planet Fitness. Love that they're there. I'm glad Edgewater's not. Because the place that we're getting is exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. I've got it. Be patient. I back it. Be patient. And then lastly, He gives this contrast and it's really, what are you going to trust in, right? Behold, his soul, this is Babylon, is puffed up. It's not upright within him. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man. He who is never at rest, his greed is as white as Sheol. Death is, like death, it's never enough. He gathers to himself nations and peoples. So what he's saying is Babylon is all puffed up They've been on this win streak. And now they got this swagger to them because they haven't had a chapter one. They haven't had a Habakkuk one, hard things, difficult times. And because of that, because of that, they're all puffed up. We need chapter ones. Do you know that? So here's my best example of what happens when you don't have hard things and don't walk through them well. Someone sent me this clip, it's years ago. I didn't even know there was this show, but it was on MTV and it was called My Super Sweet 16. Who's heard of that or watched that? Oh my goodness. I've watched one clip of it and it was hilarious. Probably got everything you wanna know about the show, but it was this girl named Aubrey and she was turning 16. And her parents down in Florida spent $250,000 on her birthday party. I'm like, oh, hey, we're building the building by the way. <laughs> so 250 grand on this birthday party and the mom, that's not enough. So the mom buys her this $50,000 Lexus coupe. And she brings the Lexus coupe the day before the big party to give it to her daughter so her daughter can have, have the present, whatever. So she pulls up this black beautiful $50,000 Lexus with a big bow on it, texts her daughter, hey, I'm outside. Come out here. I got something for you. So the MTV cameras are rolling and out comes this girl who's going to turn 16 with all her little entourage of people. She sees the gift and screams, not in delight, but in anger and starts just cussing out her mom. you ruined my life. How could you do this to me? You gave it to me too early. I can't believe you've ruined my whole birthday. Just on and on and on. And the saddest thing was the mom was like, oh, I feel so bad. Why did I do that to her? I'm like, what? Please insult me that way. Anytime you want, right? I was waiting for her to grab a belt off one of those little boys because they didn't need it, man. Their pants were hanging down. Grab that belt and take that girl and spank her because that's what she needed. But it didn't happen. She had all this kind of, oh, I blew it. You know, I ruined my daughter's. No, you didn't. What your daughter needed is a little Habakkuk one in her life because it helps you grow right and process things well. Or, or you just invent drama then. It's like, my life is so easy. I have to invent this drama to make it seem like my life is hard. I got a $50,000 car a day early. Drama. <laughs> so what's being said here is this. They're all puffed up. They're greedy because it's been too easy. Just win, 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 win. They are full of themselves and they gather nations and people. They've just, they've just got their own way. People that get their own way too, for too long, it's bad news. Just look at the news right now. Les Moonvez from CBS News got his own way for way too long. And there's a swath of destruction, hurt people in his wake. Harvey Weinstein, God has their own way for way too long, and there's a swath of destruction in their wake. They live by their might, they live by their army, they live by money, they live by that. That's it. They're puffed up. Okay? And God says, verse 3, their time is coming. So you got that contrast. Are you living by your own might, by your own thing, puffed up? Or the opposite is verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. The word faith there comes from the root of the Hebrew word of amen. The righteous shall live by amening. Does that ring a bell for anybody? It should, because it's picking up something that's way back in Genesis 15, six, where it says, Abraham, amen, God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same exact thing. This is what God has wanted the whole time. God knows humanity is corrupt and broken and they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna crush people. But, but if they will amen Be put their faith in me, trust me, I will change them. And in turn, I'll change their world. Which direction are you gonna go? Trusting yourself and your abilities and your thing, leaving a swath of destruction, or are you gonna say, amen, God? I believe in God. I believe in his kingdom, and I believe that he is the king, and I'm here to serve him. That his kingdom is coming. Do you know that if you live that way, it changes things? If you really believe that the king is returning with his kingdom, and you are living for that, it changes the way you live. Let me try to explain it like this. If I asked you, who wants to go to heaven? Who would raise their hand? Okay, most of us, maybe a few don't. I don't know where you're going, but good luck with that. <laughs> All right, if I ask you then, who wants to go there tonight? Who raises their hand? Wow, that's amazing to me. I did not think that would happen. Well, end of discussion. <laughs> Well, that's really, I don't personally because there's a lot of unknown about what is that, right? What is eternity? What, like, I'm, I'm happy. I love my kids. I love my life. I love Edgewater. I love my job. I, I'm pretty happy. Now I think, hey, that's great out there, but there's a lot of unknown in that. But I think if I put it like this, if I said, who wants to live in Grant's Pass? If Grant's Pass was free, from drug addiction, free from violence, free from murder, free from rape, free from parents who abandon their children, free from all the evil that we see, free from violence and aggression. If it was a place that your gifts and talents could be used to their maximum, where you just find this incredible purpose, who would say, I'd like to live in Grants Pass like that? Okay, to me, That's Revelation 21 and 22. That's actually where we're going. It's the new heaven and the new earth where the evil has been wiped off. And then we come in with our king to maximize the way that we are built and our design and our purpose in ways that we cannot imagine. That's the end. That's coming for you and me. And I think what the New Testament says is this, start living as if that's possible today start pushing it back against all the stuff that you know is evil and start using your talents and your gifts right now, partnering with me. And you find Grant's Pass becomes a little outpost of heaven. And the way that you live is transformed by that because you're living by faith in the coming king and his kingdom. And that's what Habakkuk says right there. The just, the righteous live by his faith, king and coming kingdom. Now, the rest of the chapter is five woes, just whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's this, Babylon is getting what it wants, but not what it needs. And these are a great kind of little, uh, check in your soul. Like, am I that? Because God would say, whoa, like a horse, slow down. Whoa, you're heading in the wrong direction. So woe number one, verse six. Shall not all these take up their taunt, I love that, against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say. So what this is, it's almost like, uh, if you're a big sports fan and the other team like comes out of the tunnel, what do you do? And you're like at the tunnel, you taunt them, right? If you're a big duck fan or a big beaver fan, You kind of taunt each other. used to be fun. It's not anymore. Because I'm a beaver fan, it's just not fun anymore. It's like, yeah, I know. How many will we lose by? 70? 60? 50? How about 50? (laughs) Will you give me 50? No, dude, 60. Okay. It's insane. So used to be fun. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like this taunt against Babylon. So woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Look out, will not your debtor suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Taunt or woe, number one. Woe to those, verse six would say, who succeed by stealing. And what the rest of this little section says is this, you're living on borrowed money and borrowed time, but soon there'll be time to pay. What's fascinating about Babylon is this. Babylon appears and disappears in about 70 years, which if you know the Bible is a really interesting number. It's like God raised them up, Use them for the 70-year thing he needed with Israel. And then in 539 BC, you can read about it in Daniel chapter five. They're partying, Belshazzar the king is, king of Babylon, partying, drinking wine, just like it says they are, full of wine. And then during that night, all of a sudden a hand appears from nowhere and writes on the wall. And the Bible says this, Belshazzar wet himself because he knew this is not good. No one could figure out what was being said. It was tekel, tekel, mini eupharsin, which means you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tonight is your end. And that night, the Medo Persians came underneath the city through a river, popped up, and essentially took the entire capital of Babylon without even a battle. Raised up, set down. You did this, it's coming back for you. And what you see really in world history is empires pop up and then they get set down. We know Persians up, down by Greece. Greece up, down by the Romans. Romans up, down by the Mongols, right? You can just follow history like that. They get too puffed up, too prideful, and then they break. And usually it's through the same way that they broke other people. They reap what they sow. That's a fact of life. Did you know that? I was, just happened to be reading Judges. And uh, it was on a Monday morning and Myron, my son, was eating breakfast and Monday is my day off. So I'm a little bit more chill. And I'm reading, he's like, hey, dad, read to me. And it was chapter one. And Judges one is about the conquest of the land. And so there's this king, his name is Adonai Bezek. Adonai Bezek which says this, Adonai Bezek was defeated and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, why would they do that to somebody? You can't run away. You can't grip a sword or a bow. So essentially you become, they don't have to kill you, but you're not gonna revolt against them. And then the text then says, Adonai Bezek replied, hey, that's fine. Cause I've done that. I'd love that. That's fine. Cause I've done that to 70 people. So I'm reading this and, I'll, and Myron just goes, And just keeps eating a cereal. Like, what in the world is the Bible? It's that same idea that, listen, what you're sowing, which is what this says, what you, you plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. What you sow, you'll reap. Be very careful. Woe number one. Woe number two, verse nine. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Woe number two. Woe to those who get gain by evil. If you get something good in your life by doing something evil, it's evil, period. Be careful, because it says this, you've devised shame for your house. Like verse 11, I just love it. The stone's gonna cry out from the wall. Your very house is gonna say, you did that wrong. The woodwork is gonna complain, right? It's almost like C.S. Lewis's, right? Like, hey, look out. The very creation knows what you're doing and creation knows it's wrong. I think there's a truth to that. Read Romans eight twenty two. It says, all creation groans and travails. You know what creation is groaning and travail for? Dad to come home. Dad, come home. Things aren't right. People are doing evil. Things are right, Dad. Please come home. Woe well, number two. One well, number three. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from Yahweh of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the water covers the sea. Woe number three, people that use violence to get what they want. So this is going back to chapter one, we looked at it, that might is right, that if you can do it, then do it. We have an entire century, the 20th century was might is right. It led to multiple world wars, more bloodshed than any other century in history. Nations wearied themselves for nothing. Where's the Soviet Union today? Where's the Nazis today, right? Wearied themselves for nothing on might is right. What do you think Jesus would say? I think he would reverse that and say this, right is might. Doing the right thing is the mightiest way to live. That even if you can call 72,000 angels, The right thing is the mighty thing. No, I'm not gonna. That even if you could punch somebody back, Jesus would say, the right thing is to turn the other cheek. Even if you could hold unforgiveness from somebody, Jesus would say, no, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That right is might. Doing the right thing is the mightiest way to live. I think that's what Jesus would say. He'd reverse that, just like he reversed everything else. And I love this little phrase in verse 13. People that labor merely for fire. All their efforts, all their work, just heap it up on a bonfire and torch it. Maybe a modern translation would be this. Maybe the message would put it like this. People that labor merely for the dump. I think every person should make a one year pilgrimage to the Merlin dump. It's so good. Get out and just (laughs) smell. You know what I call that smell? Yesterday's treasure. That's what it is. Yesterday, that was somebody's treasure. They spent hard money on it. They went and they thought about it and they purchased it and they thought, this is it. Now it's in the dump. Yesterday's treasure. I thought about if you could just like bottle that smell and then just go sit out in front of Walmart when people are coming out with all their stuff and just spray them. That's what that is, man. Tomorrow, that's where that's going. Just know that. Don't put your hope in that TV. Don't put your hope in that thing. Listen, it's, it's headed to the dump. Like the last time I went there, which was a couple of years ago, there was an entire house there. Like it was from maybe the 1950s or so. And I just remember thinking, man, there was some dude in 1950 who spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort to build that home thinking, yeah, now it's at the dump. Just imagine that, man. That's like, whoa. I thought about my house. At some point, if Jesus does not come back, my house is going to the dump. That's what's gonna happen to it. It's yesterday's treasure. That's what you're smelling. That's what you're looking. So be careful. And possessions are not bad. Do you know that? There's no problem with possessions. It's do they possess you? So here's what C.S. Lewis says. It's one of my quotes that I run in my mind because it's healthy. He says this, quote, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it. Well, really, it is finding its place in him. Be careful. Possessions are not bad at all. Just don't let them possess you right in the middle of this woe, it's almost in the center of this book, there's light. Been dark, 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 dark. Look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. At the appointed time, Habakkuk, glory's coming. That word glory is kavod. It means the weight, the, the yes, the weight It's dad's coming home and things will be set right. And the world be run the way that we know in our hearts they're supposed to be run. The echo of Eden that's in us that says, this isn't right, this is unfair, this isn't right. When dad comes home, his glory, his weight, his rightness runs the world that we live in. And it's brilliant. Just a little glimmer. Well, number four, verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup is in Yahweh's right hand and it will come round to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. Woe number four, woe to those who win by manipulation. So it seems like you're doing something nice. Here, bro, have some wine. I'm giving it to you. But what's his real motive? To manipulate and to take advantage. I call this guerrilla greed. Like guerrilla warfare, it's guerrilla greed. It appears that you're being nice and you're giving, but the whole time you're always thinking, what's in this for me? That you look at people and you look at circumstances always for what's in it for me. How do, we get, how do we extract from you what I want? And I'm gonna seem like I'm giving and I'm generous, but it's really to manipulate and to get what I want. To me, that's one of the worst things ever, that kind of thing. It's giving, not to be generous, but you're actually calculating your return on an investment. You win by manipulation. And when that happens, you repent. Jesus, make me generous. Give me that hilarity. The New Testament says we're supposed to be having that we're a hilarious giver, just throwing C-notes around. (laughs) That's how we're supposed to give. Not letting your left hand knowing what your right hand is doing. I don't think that's just about other people not knowing. It's like you're not even keeping track of it. You're not like, well, that dude, I gave him something, so he owes me something. No, you don't even remember it. True giving is, I don't even remember I gave you something because I gave it. That, that's better. And then the final woe. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. It's a veneer. It's fake. And there is no breath at all in it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Woe to him that worship idols. Woe to him that worships idols. We're all gonna worship something. The human heart has been crafted to worship. It's why sports work. It's why LeBron James makes $50 billion a year because people, ah, ah. Our heart is shaped for that. You will worship something. And what God says about these idols is this. I love verse 19. There's no breath in it. It's the Hebrew word ruach. From where we get wind, breath, spirit. There's no spirit in it. These things are veneers. They don't have what you need. They lack it. But we all grasp at certain things that we worship. Who doesn't worship success at some level? Man, that's a big one for me. I wanna succeed. And it can take you over, right? I was just reading about Chris Everett. Remember her, the tennis player? Like she is a phenomenal tennis player. And they asked her one time, what drives you to win? This was her answer. Every time I win, I feel pretty. It broke my heart. What happens when you lose then? Right? Are you ugly? You're the same person. Deriving value from that. Or maybe the best is Rocky 1. The really good Rocky movie. <laughs> when he and Adrian are having that conversation, right? About fighting. And he's like, why do you want to fight him? Why do you want to do that? He goes, because I, I want to go the distance. Why, he's going to end up killing you. Why do you want to do this? And his answer was this. Because then I'll know I'm not a bum. 36 minutes in another in a ring with another man is gonna prove you're not a bum. Or well, you're gonna do that, but it still won't be enough, will it? Because you're gonna need Rocky II and Rocky three and Rocky IV, <laughs> Rocky V, <five> and <laughs> now there's creed, and the, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's never gonna be enough. Man's success is it just runs you ragged. Idols are takers, they take from you. You give yourself to them, they capture you. So I wrote down a number of years ago and I stole this from Tim Keller. He has this book called Counterfeit Gods where he talks about how the heart is just an idol factory. And he gave these little like one-liners to evaluate your life to see if an idol's taken over and they're really healthy. And I'll just end up my own time, you know, every couple months, I'll just run through these. I'm gonna read them to you. You can just listen. Here they are. This is how... You can check, where's my heart at? Have I created an idol? Listen to these. Number one, what consumes most of your thoughts and feelings? Number two, what motivates the things that you do? What are you most afraid of? Growing old, being poor. What brings the most frustration or anger in your life? What would your friends say is your favorite topic? What's the one thing that you can't live without? This is a good one. What is the one thing that can change your mood in an instant? I'm like that is brilliant, ooh, ouch. <laughs> what brings you solace? Ice cream. <laughs> What's the one thing you wish God would do for you? Those are great questions. If you want them, I'll email them to you. You can email me Matt at EdgewaterFellowship.org. They're good. And this book and or this chapter ends, I should say, with this phenomenal verse. But Yahweh, idols, 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 takers, 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 veneer, fake, no rock in them. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. The temple is the place in the Bible where God gets to meet with man. It's that space, right? It's the Eden. Eden was a temple. If you look at Eden, there's, there's three parts to it, right? There's, there's, there's the garden, um, there's Eden, actually, there's the earth, there's Eden, and then there's the garden. It's the outer gates, it's the holy place, it's the holy of holies. And it was in the garden that God met with man. All the temple was, was a recreation of Eden. Look at all the symbols in there. There's palm trees, there's like fruit. There's all, there's all these symbols from Eden that are ported into the temple because it's the place that God meets with man. You're worshiping these idols over here that are empty veneers where God just sit in his temple going, hey, hey. I'm the real deal, I'm the real deal. Do some tower time, talk to me, meet with me. I'm not a veneer, I'm the real thing. I have the Ruach. And then let the earth keep silent before him. What has Habakkuk been doing? <laughs> I just kinda, wonder of, if guys like, okay Habakkuk. It was good that you said this, but at some point, come on Habakkuk right? It's almost like this. Um, It's wrong to stand up in the middle of a movie and say, this is a stupid movie. You don't know the end yet, right? It's like that Habakkuk. You don't know the end yet. You don't know the end yet. Trust me. The end is phenomenal. And that's what faith says. Faith says, I trust you. Faith is the proof that we didn't marry God for the money. That when chapter one happens, we say, I don't care. I didn't marry God for the money. And God may not give you the answer to whatever you think you need the answer to. And sometimes the reason God doesn't give you the answer is because he's the answer. And any other answer just will not do. And that's really what we celebrate at Christmas. God had given a lot of information. We're reading it right now. It didn't do it. So instead, what did he give? Himself. That we celebrate. So, Jesus, this day, you're our answer. You're in your temple waiting for us. If we'll draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. If we search for you, we will find you. When we search with our whole heart, when we're not double minded about it, wanting advice, when we're saying, We want you. We want a relationship with you. We want to be your sons and your daughters. You're in your temple. I pray, Lord God, for us tonight. Help us not to chase after things that have no ruach in them. You'll give those things to us but they lead to leanness of soul, the psalmist says. We don't want lean souls. We want full souls, full of you. So I pray, Lord, that we would even take those questions and evaluate where are we at? Are we in verse 19 with the veneer and no ruach? Or are we in the verse 20 where we stand in awe of you? in your temple, meeting with you. Cleanse us from idols. Show us where they're at, where they're hiding. And consume us with your love so we forget about them. I pray, Lord, for individuals who This season is actually very difficult. My heart aches for them. People that have lost loved ones. And now there's gonna be an empty chair at the table. People have gone through real painful chapter ones with divorce, with loss, with hurt. I pray that you, the comforter of our soul, you, Yahweh, who is in his temple waiting for relationship and fullness and filling, that Lord, you would invade those homes, invade those hearts and fill and comfort. I pray that we, as your arms and your hands, would be reaching out and inviting and welcoming those that have had loss. Celebrating. the answer. (laughs) Go with us, we ask. Fill us. May we follow you well Thursday. Give us the daily bread that we need to be the people who are able ambassadors of you, our King. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.